Hello, and welcome to another message from Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. If you'd like to find out more about us or what we believe, please visit aldingabaybaptist.org.au. So what we're going to do from here is we're going to have uh, a time of communion uh, directly. But before that, just a short sermon, given that we've had a fair bit on this morning. And uh, we're going to be looking at that text that, that Tully's just read for us. So this is the third Sunday of Advent, and we've been celebrating that as a church. And the passage that we've read is what's known as the Magnificat. It's uh, a famous text, really, uh, and it's a text that uh, there's lots of liturgies, lots of songs that have been sung around this. Just a few things about it. First, uh, this is uh, the Song of Mary uh, that uh, she sings after she's conceived by the Holy Spirit and she's pregnant with Jesus. As we've just heard in the text, she's with her cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant with John the Baptist. And this is it's called the Magnificat, which is Latin uh, for magnify. And that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about magnifying God because of his greatness and all that he's done. There's lots of Christmas carols that have been sung over the years and we're about to sing a whole lot more. We've sung them some this morning, but this is actually, interestingly, the very first Christmas carol that was ever penned or ever sung, uh, sung by Mary there as she's pregnant with Jesus. And I was also reading on it uh, this week that uh, in the last hundred years, in, on three separate occasions, in three different countries, the Magnificat was banned by governments. And that's because it was seen as subversive. It was the idea of maybe a revolt was going to happen. You know, those that were powerful were going to be trodden down by those that were lowly, which is not really the case, not really the story behind the Magnificat, not in that sense of a revolt, but nonetheless, it's still true. Three governments in the last hundred years have banned this text. It's, it's powerful. I just want to think about it, as I said, fairly briefly this morning. Uh, what is it that we could learn from the Magnificat? And truthfully, it's probably quite a few things, uh, but here's four that uh, I wanted to talk about. One, the Magnificat is about, is about um, glorifying God. It's about gratitude, if you like. So it's about gratitude. Number two, it's about the greatness of God. Number three, it's a story of inversion. And then fourthly, uh, it's a story about joy. So very briefly, four points. Doesn't sound like it's going to be a short sermon, but uh, that's the plan. So we just just spend a few moments thinking about this as we reflect on it. This first idea about gratitude, it's how it kicks off, isn't it? In fact, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn to this great passage, Luke 1, verse 46. Gratitude. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. It is a story of gratitude, isn't it? Mary is exalting God, praising him. And for good reason, it's mind-blowing, really, when you think about it. But she is pregnant. She is the mother of God in the sense that we talk about in, in Christianity. Well, that's amazing. So she's that, all the reason to praise God for this wonderful truth, this wonderful thing that's about to take place. But what shouldn't be lost on us as well is that, is that she is a single, teenage, pregnant woman. And the story of Immaculate Conception or the Holy Spirit coming upon her and her being pregnant to a child is not something 
that is easily going to be believed in his society. I was thinking about it this week. I thought, you know, there's actually only two play, two people, rather, in the gospel story that actually accept her story, that we're told accept her story, and that is her cousin Elizabeth and then her future husband, Joseph. And in both cases, it was only because of divine intervention where they arrived in to believe those things. So you have to say, without stretching it at all, that Mary would have been somebody that would have received, been on the receiving end of a whole lot of rumour and innuendo, gossip and slander. It would have been part of the course for her as a pregnant young woman. But nonetheless, she praises God, she glorifies him and she's lost in that. And I think that's a really important point for us. Just number one, gratitude. In every one of our lives, there is going to be suffering and there is going to be struggle. We all know it. In fact, in following Jesus, we invite that in because Jesus says that if we love him, we will suffer. It's part of the course. In fact, he sees to it to some degree. That is the reality of things. He's developing us and he's changing us and he's growing us through those things. And here's the thing for us. When we receive, when we're on the receiving end of struggle, then it's very easy to become bitter. It's very easy to be bent out of shape. But the remedy for that is gratitude. It is realizing that God is in control. We are actually not victims, but we have a loving father who is watching over us and he is in control of all things. And he's on about bringing things for good in our lives. And so while we might not always praise God for the problems, and I don't want to make small or light of the problems because sometimes they are so big, but the remedy is always gratitude. That's one of the first things we learn here in the Magnificent. We'd be people that are grateful, that we come to God and grateful for who he is, that he's in control of all things. Secondly, this is a story that is about the greatness of God as well. It's all the way through it, isn't it? Listen to some of those words again. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, Mary says. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. It is about, the whole thing is about the might of God. It's about the weakness of humanity and the greatness of God. And that's a good thing to remember as well. God is great. As we come to Christmas, it's a wonderful time to think about the greatness of God because it's contrasted so brilliantly in the in the birth of Jesus coming as a child. I was thinking about the greatness of God. I think about it a lot, actually, and because I think it's one of the main things we're supposed to think about as Christians, about how great God is. And the simple thing is when you start thinking about it, you realise that you're completely at odds, at a loss to consider how great God is. It's true. I was watching... Uh, documentary on Monday night, Brian Cox was talking about black holes in the universe. We turned it on. We have a family night Monday nights, turned it on. We sat down, we watched, I watched that with, with a couple of my kids. And um, Brian Cox was talking about the black holes in the universe. He's talking about this one that is 400 million times the size of our sun, which blows my mind. I think I, I can't comprehend how big that must be. And it's sort of sucking all these things in as black holes do. And he was, he's talking about all these wonderful things about black holes that physicists have discovered and as I was reflecting on that, I was thinking, you know, the black hole, this black hole that's so big, it's just a, just a, a blip in the universe because the universe is so great 
We, we're fortunate to live in a time of modern science, aren't we, where we get to appreciate that at greater depths than what anyone's ever been able to appreciate it. We look through the scientists' telescopes and we see the vast array of stars. We know so much more about things and we realise that the, that the universe is incredible in its greatness. And so this helps, it helps me with God because I, then I remember, as we said a few times here at Aldinga Bay, is that God, he is the environment for the universe. He's the creator of the universe. We, that's clearly the message of Christianity. He's the creator and sustainer of absolutely everything. He holds it all together. He doesn't live in some distant galaxy. That's not how we think about God. Sitting on some planet in some distant galaxy, that's, that's not it. No, God, he's the environment for the universe. That's, that's staggering. But if you just let that sink in for a minute, you think, well, God, how, how great is God? Well, exactly. We just can't begin to fathom how great he is. But this God comes to us in human form at Christmas. This God is a God that's interested in a relationship. That's the beauty of it. He is so great, but he's interested in a relationship with you. And that's one of the things that comes through this magnificent. He's interested. He's personal. Thirdly, it's a story about inversion, isn't it, this passage? That's, that's such a major part of it. Mary gives thanks in the first part for his goodness toward her. And then the last part is about inversion, or if you like, it's about justice. It's about an eschatological reversal. All those things are the same, really. God turns things around. He's shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy, he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. All that is about an inversion, isn't it? It's about God bringing about justice in this world. There's something here about the humble. God exalts the humble. He's exalted those of humble estate. That's a very big theme in the book of Luke. God exalts the humble. I want you to think about that. It's, it's actually a number of stories. It's here. And then you go to another famous story in the book of Luke, which is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Do you remember that story? And the thing about that is that, you know, to tell it briefly, there's a very rich man, Jesus says. It's a made-up story, Jesus says, but he's a very rich man. And he's, he's clothed in the greatest attire and he feasts every day on the greatest food. And outside his gate is a poor man who has nothing. And he begs and he, he longs just for the crumbs that are under the rich man's table. What's really interesting about this story of Lazarus and the rich man is that everybody would have known the rich man, rich man's name and probably nobody knew the poor man's name. But in the story, it's reversed. The rich man doesn't even have a name. But Lazarus, the poor man, he is given a name. And then they both die. And it is Lazarus that goes to paradise. And it's the rich man that goes to hell. And so it's this whole idea about humility, God exalting the humble, which is a very good reminder for us. It's good to stop and look at our lives and to ask ourselves, am I living humbly before God? And am I, am I living humbly before others? Because there is a day of reckoning. 
God is just and he'll bring all things to be. So that's really important, but there's a second part of that as well. And that is the fact that truthfully, as I read through the Bible, none of us are truly humble. The reality is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God exalts the humble, but the truth is that we're all in trouble because none of us are truly humble. We're all like our ancestors, if you like, in a story of Adam and Eve in the garden, eating of the fruit. You know, I heard somebody say recently that they wish they had the chance to be in the garden themselves and make their own choice. But it's a bit of a silly thing, really, because we all make that choice all the time. We put ourselves first and we reject God and we go our own way. It's exactly what our ancestors did. None of us are truly humble. None of us are right. But the story of Advent is just this story, is that the great God, creator of all things, is what should take our breath away at Christmas time, came into the world as a baby and he lived amongst us He came in human likeness, in human form, and he was a servant. And he went to the cross and he died for us. And he paid the price. He beat our, he defeated our great enemies, which are the things that haunt us the most, death and sin. He defeated them at the cross in order that we could be brought into a relationship with the Father, in order that we could be made right, received, if we come before him in surrender and repentance and look to him. So it is a story about inversion and it's worth hearing that in the right way, that God is the one who one day will make all things right because the king is coming again to bring all things as they should be. And the last thing about this text, very briefly, that I want to think about is the story of joy. In many ways, as Mary Mary hears this and as she sings this song, there is just joy in her life as she remembers that God has not forgotten his people that he is the one who is righteous. And she sounds a little bit like the person in the text that we had last week, Isaiah chapter 35. Listen to these words again. Talks about the king coming and what will happen then. Isaiah 35 verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And they shall come to Zion with singing. And everlasting joy will be on their heads. And they shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. It's beautiful, isn't it? Those words. Redeemed of the Lord shall return. They'll come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. That is the future. And what it tells me is one final thing is that is that there is joy and there is joy. God wants us to have joy in our lives. He is not a God who wants to take it away. He is the holy God. He wants to give it to us. And joy, happiness is really only found in one place. And that is worshiping the King coming before him and knowing forgiveness, knowing acceptance, knowing love. And in turn, we can show love and we can sing because there's nothing. This cannot be taken away from us. If we belong to God, there is nothing that can truly trouble us. And so this Christmas, as we prepare for it, this third Sunday of Advent, I want you to think about those things, about the fact that God is great, that we should, we should glorify him because he's always in control. He's glorious. And he's the one that's come to redeem us. And for that reason, we can have joy. We're going to come around the Lord's table or communion, as we call it. And 
if you're not familiar with that, the point of it is that it's just an opportunity to take the bread and take the cup, go back to your seat, eat of the bread, and then we'll drink of the cup together. And it is the body of Jesus we, we reflect on, his body broken for us on that cross at Easter time. His blood shed for us. The most central thing about Christianity is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. He came and he did that in order that we might be changed. I wonder where you are today. There's all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds. We just really encourage you to think about that message, a message that has changed this world and God wants to change your life, our lives today. If you are somebody that says, yes, I'm, I'm following Jesus, I want to worship him in that way today, then we invite you to come past. There's a table here and there's a table over there. Just if you're on that side, file past that one. On this side, file past this one. Go back to your seats. We invite you just to come up and do that. Or if you'd rather not, if you think, oh, I'm just not sure about that, then we're just so glad you're here. Uldinga Bay is a place that we want to be for everybody, regardless of your background. Come and hear, think about Christianity. If you'd rather not, then feel free just to stay in your seats and um, let the others come. But if you'd like to come, please come now and take of the bread and take of the cup. Thank you.